Let's hear God's word from the book of Judges, chapter 21, beginning with verse 1. Now the men of Israel had sworn an oath at Mizpah, saying, None of us shall give his daughter to Benjamin as a wife. Then the people came to the house of God and remained there before God till evening. They lifted up their voices and wept bitterly and said, O Lord God of Israel, why has this come to pass in Israel? That today there should be one tribe missing in Israel. So it was on the next morning that the people rose early and built an altar there and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. The children of Israel said, Who is there among all the tribes of Israel who did not come up with the assembly to the Lord? For they had made a great oath concerning anyone who had not come up to the Lord at Mizpah, saying, He shall surely be put to death. And the children of Israel grieved for Benjamin their brother and said, One tribe is cut off from Israel today. What shall we do for wives for those who remain? Seeing we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them our daughters as wives. And they said, What one is there from the tribes of Israel who did not come up to Mizpah to the Lord? And in fact, no one had come to the camp from Jabesh-Gilead to the assembly. For when the people were counted, indeed, not one of the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead was there. So the congregation sent out there 12,000 of their most valiant men and commanded them, saying, Go and strike the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead with the edge of the sword, including the women and children. And this is the thing that you shall do. You shall utterly destroy every male and every woman who has known a man intimately. So they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead 400 young virgins who had not known a man intimately, and they brought them to the camp at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. Then the whole congregation sent word to the children of Benjamin who were at the Rock of Rimmon and announced peace to them. So Benjamin came back at that time, and they gave them the women whom they had saved alive of the women of Jabesh-Gilead, and yet... They had not found enough for them. And the people grieved for Benjamin because the Lord had made a void in the tribes of Israel. Amen. We'll end our reading there in Judges 21, verse 15. Let's ask for God's help in prayer. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we acknowledge our need of help. We need your help, your illuminating spirit to Permit us to understand what this passage teaches. And Lord, we need not just understanding. We also need open hearts, receptive hearts, hearts that are able to receive this word also for our edification, for our safety, for our encouragement in the Lord. Gracious God, work above and beyond what human power would lead us to expect and minister to us all from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Presumably, after a few sermons from this general topic, you all remember roughly the history that was taking place here. A Levite and his concubine had a falling out. The concubine went to be with her dad. The Levite went to get her back. On their way back, they stopped in Gibeah of Benjamin. And in Gibeah of Benjamin, this young woman was mistreated to the point that she died. The Levite took her home, carved her corpse into 12 pieces, sent them throughout Israel, all Israel except Benjamin. And as we found out today, the town of Jabesh Gilead sent people to that assembly. They determined to request or to demand that Benjamin hand over the men of Gibeah for punishment But the tribe of Benjamin refused. 
Instead, they mustered their own army to defend Gibeah and the criminals in Gibeah from the justice going to be meted out by the congregation of Israel. So there was civil war. The other tribes, the other ten tribes, who were led by Judah, suffered losses. Day one of battle, they lost with heavy casualties. Day two of battle, they lost with heavy casualties. 40,000 casualties over those two days of battle. Day three of battle, they lost a few more men, but Benjamin was destroyed. 600 men escaped to a high rock where it was a defensible position, and the army of Israel passed through the whole territory of Benjamin, killing and burning and destroying. It was victory, but it was victory which resulted in weeping. You notice how it has that here in verse 2. The people came to the house of God, or to Bethel, and remained there before God till evening. They lifted up their voices and wept bitterly. Now, they had gone before the Lord and they'd wept bitterly when they'd lost, when they first started the civil war against Benjamin before. Now they've won and yet they're weeping again. Why is that? Why are they not celebrating victory? Well, this is the reality. In a civil war, there are no winners. If you think about it, a civil war means a people divided against itself. Whichever side comes out on top, at what cost did they come out on top? Well, at the cost of a great deal of destruction. You can apply that to other areas of life. This is true in marriage. If you are fighting with your husband, if you are fighting with your wife, you might win, but whoever won, you both lost. There was damage to the relationship. There was damage to the confidence and trust. You can debate, you can discuss, you can make your views known, you can make your voice heard. I certainly encourage that. But I would also try to discourage you from fighting because let's say that you really win. You destroy your spouse. You crush them to powder in that argument. Are you really that much further ahead? Are you better off? Are they better off? That's the nature of civil war. It can happen in a church as well. You can have differences of opinion. You can have people arguing for one thing or another. Well, sometimes one point of view prevails. Now, don't get me wrong. There are matters of principle. There are matters that are worth standing for. We don't like church division, but if it's something like in the case of the Reformation, well, church division was better than compromise with error. But if you fight, if it's not a biblically-based discussion where everybody is content to follow the teaching of the Word of God once that's been made clear, if it's a conflict, if politics get involved, if you start to think about, well, how can we drive so-and-so away? You know, even if you win, you've lost. Because at what damage to your spirit, at what damage to your relationships, at what cost to the life of the congregation does that come? Israel, speaking of the bulk of the nation, won this civil war. And I'm not one of those who thinks that they had a lot of other choices. Benjamin mustered to defend the criminals. Discipline had to be applied. 
I'm not saying that the Civil War was intrinsically wrong. I'm not saying that the military conflict was avoidable. You read the history. I don't see that they had too many other choices. The Lord told them to go out to battle against Benjamin. And they did. But at what cost? Even when it's necessary, civil war, internal conflict, comes with a terrible toll. Here they are weeping. Now the specific content of their weeping The thing that is grieving and afflicting them is that there's a missing tribe. Benjamin is gone. There's nobody from Benjamin there. And the surviving Benjamites are just 600 men. And it's all men. Well, there is no future for a society with nothing but men in it. That's a one generation society is what that is. It was not good in the Garden of Eden for the man to be alone. If Benjamin is going to survive, these 600 men need 600 women. That's the basic dilemma of chapter 21. Where do you find 600 women, marriageable women, for 600 men? And there's a limiting factor. When Israel gathered together in their assembly when they promised to root out this evil from among them. They took a great oath, a binding oath, an oath that exposed you to death as a penalty if you broke it. And part of that oath, one of the terms of that oath was none of us will give our daughters to Benjamin to marry. They were incensed against the crimes of the Benjamites and the defense of those crimes. And so they made this great oath. So now they're trapped in a dilemma. They're faced with two unacceptable choices. We break our oath. We make ourselves guilty. We call down God's wrath upon us. Or we allow for there to be a breach, a gap in Israel. We come to terms with a missing tribe. That's a dilemma. And that is a source of grief and of sorrow. So they start looking around for creative options. The creative option they come up with is, well, is there any municipality that didn't send anybody for the war? Well, there was, Jabesh Gilead on the other side of Jordan. Well, since everybody was supposed to come, since not coming was de facto a declaration of approval of what had been done in Gibeah of Benjamin and the Benjamite defense of those criminals, anybody who didn't come up, anybody who didn't respond to the summons was putting themselves outside of the pale of Israel, was bringing themselves under judgment. I don't know that that was clear in everybody's mind, but that was what the assembly intended, and that's how they're going to interpret things. So they send 12,000 men to Jabesh Gilead to kill everybody, with one exception. Young women of marriageable age who were still virgins. That was the exception. The text specifically says that the commission was to kill women and children with this one exception. In other words, they were going to do to Jabesh Gilead what they had already done to Benjamin. Now, with Benjamin, they didn't accept the women, no matter their age or condition or anything like that. 
with Jabesh Gilead in order not to make the problem worse. They are going to make that exception. There's a little bit of precedent for that in the book of Numbers when Israel attacked Midian. They were supposed to slaughter them all. They didn't. When they brought the captives back, they wound up saving just the young women of marriageable age who were still virgins. But that's a pretty flimsy precedent, I think. Now, as we're talking about all of this, your minds are probably spinning a little bit. Is this right? Is this appropriate? Is this how we handle things? Well, thankfully, no. That's, this is not a model for us to imitate. This is not how we proceed. But what had happened? Well, Israel had turned away from the Lord. That's the whole backdrop of the book of Judges. What do they continue to do? They continue to do what is right in their own eyes. In the first 16 chapters of this book, doing what is right in their own eyes is largely expressed in terms of idolatry. They do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. They go after the gods of the nations. They intermarry with the Canaanites and they do not preserve, maintain themselves as a people holy to the Lord who worship the Lord their God alone and serve him exclusively. And then in Samson, Samson keeps doing what is right in his own eyes. Samson is a microcosm of Israel. And that's the point of these chapters 17, 18, 19, 20, and 21 is to show that what was true of Samson, the judge, the deliverer, the one raised up by God and empowered by the Spirit was also true of the general populace, of anonymous Levites, of whole tribes. They did what was right in their own eyes. That is falling away from God. That is turning away from the Lord. And what happens when the people of God turn away from the Lord? Well, they prepare a rod for their own back. They bring themselves into difficulties. Why did foreign oppressors continue to invade and beat down one part or another of Israel? Because they kept turning away from the Lord. Why is there a missing tribe in Israel? Because that tribe as a whole turned away from the Lord. And why now are the leaders of the congregation scratching their heads and scraping the bottom of the barrel for solutions that you have to feel are not on the level, are not on the up and up to this problem that the civil war they were involved in created? And the solution they come up with is, well, let's massacre more people. And that solution falls short. They find 400 marriageable young virgins in Jabesh Gilead. But there's 600 men. This solution of massacre, of slaughter, of more civil war, of extending the sword against other towns in Israel, it's a partial solution. It falls short. What do we expect the solutions to be when they have fallen under God's judgment? They have brought God's judgment upon themselves. It's been expressed against Benjamin, but it's also been expressed against Judah, against all the rest of the tribes of Israel. It's expressed against Jabesh Gilead, but it's also expressed on the people who come up with this plan. 
Years later, Jabesh Gilead would be threatened by Nahash, the king of the Ammonites. And they sent out messengers to see if anybody would help them. And a messenger came to Saul, and this was before Saul had really started to function as king very much. And you know what Saul did? He became, the spirit of the Lord came on him. He became very angry. He divided an ox into 12 pieces and sent the dismembered ox pieces throughout the land of Israel to summon everybody to come to the help of Jabesh Gilead. Now, there's a couple of things about that that are interesting. Saul is from the tribe of Benjamin, right? 400 of the Benjamite wives moving forward were from Jabesh Gilead. Saul could easily, could likely have been descended from one of these young women who were captured, who were taken from Jabesh Gilead. So there's a family connection there. And Saul is interested in liberating the city, perhaps not just because it belongs to Israel, but also because of a family connection. But do you hear the echoes between that story from Saul later on and what already happened? A concubine, a human, was dismembered and sent through the tribes of Israel to bring the congregation together as one man. Jabesh Gilead did not respond. Later, when Jabesh Gilead is threatened, an ox, an animal is dismembered to bring the congregation together. And Jabesh Gilead is spared. What's the difference? Well, we have our reservations about King Saul. We know that in many ways he was not a good character. But he was anointed to be king. He was installed in that office by God acting through Samuel. And when he delivered Jabesh Gilead, the spirit of the Lord did come on him. What is missing in Judges 21? The spirit of God. There's no references to the spirit. There's no reference to the spirit guiding, to the spirit leading, to the spirit empowering. They say what God has done. God has made a breach in Israel, and in one way that's true. But they're saying to God, why has this happened? It happened because of you guys. It happened because of Benjamite's sin. It happened because the Israelites got carried away and massacred almost the whole tribe. It happened because of their actions. How can they sit there before God and say, how did this happen? I don't know how significant this is, but some commentators have pointed out they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings, but they didn't offer sin offerings. They didn't offer trespass offerings. Let me just say this as a word of application here. While we don't take responsibility for what we have done, while we're not willing to face up to our own sin, life is going to be a mystery, isn't it? You're going to have a lot of questions. Why in the world is this going on? How could this happen? A lot of times people ask that question, and the answer really is, look in the mirror. That's how this happened. Not taking responsibility, not acknowledging your sins, not seeking the Lord's guidance and direction, doing what is right in your own eyes. That's not universally the case. We don't mean to add burdens to people who are suffering by saying, it must be your fault. That's the attitude of Job's friends, and it's inappropriate. But we should not take the case of Job and say, well, then Proverbs never applies. Proverbs is full of wisdom about how your words or your actions or your lack of action 
can lead to problems. Many times, the explanation, why has some calamity happened? Why is my life such a mess? Look in the mirror. I'm not saying universally. I'm not saying 100% of the time. I'm not saying with regard to affliction, with regard to illness, with regard to persecution, that that's the answer. But we would be unwise, we would be most foolish not to acknowledge the possibility, not to look in the mirror and ask God to show us if we are part of the contributing factor. Israel weeps before the Lord and says, why? Look in the mirror. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Did they ask God, how should we solve this problem of wives for the Benjamites? Well, if they did, it's not recorded here. Instead, they came up with their own solution. Was it unjust to massacre Jabesh Gilead? Perhaps you could make a case that it was all right for them to do that in light of the ban, in light of the curse pronounced on anybody who didn't come up to deal with the problem of Benjamin and of the city of Gibeah specifically. But if it was righteous to massacre Jabesh Gilead, how was it righteous to spare these young women? And if it was righteous to spare these young women, how was it righteous to massacre the whole rest of the town? If it was righteous to spare young women from Jabesh Gilead, why wasn't it righteous to go ahead and just spare some young women from Benjamin? I don't see a way through this moral dilemma. Whichever side you come down on on this, Israel is not in the right. And that's the comment at the end of the chapter. Verse 25 ends the whole book of Judges. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The difference between this situation, between this attack on Jabesh Gilead and the attack that Saul fought off by the help of the Spirit of God, what is the difference? Well, there's two things that you can point to. One is, in Saul's time, there was a king. Now, he wasn't the world's greatest king. He wasn't Israel's greatest king. But he was a king, and he did take action. He did defend Jabesh Gilead from oppression. But the other big difference, I already highlighted it, the activity, the work of the Spirit. As far as the text goes, the spirit was absent in Judges 21. In 1 Samuel, it's very clear, it's explicit. The spirit was present. So that brings me to some concluding applications. Among us, our solutions to problems will also be a mixed bag at best unless we're hearing the word of God and unless we're guided by the Spirit. We've made personal application of that, but let me just emphasize it. Let me make it a little bit more clear even. What kind of problems will we get ourselves into? Well, you don't know. There doesn't seem to be a limit to the kinds of problems the people of God can create for themselves when they do what is right in their own eyes. So how do you make sure that that's not what you're doing? Well, first of all, you need to listen 
to the word of God. That is the most obvious application from this chapter. We need to be careful not to be like this. Well, they're not listening. They're not following what God says. They're doing what's right in their own eyes. So point number one is we must listen to the word of God. Point number two, we ought to ask for God's direction. In the Civil War, they did ask for God's guidance. They said, who should go up first? They said, should we go out again against Benjamin? And they got answers. God did guide them when they asked. But here they didn't even ask. They didn't consult Phineas. They didn't ask Phineas to ask God to show them the right way to go. And James says, you have not because you ask not. Ask God if you're doing what is right in your own eyes. Ask God if you're following his word. Ask God to help you listen. And of course, we're all familiar with the verse that in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. You can ask other people too. That's why the government of the church is not supposed to be one petty dictator making all the decisions. It's supposed to be a consistory. It's supposed to be a group of people drawn from the congregation who deliberate and discuss, who are in touch with what's going on, who can give feedback, who can push and encourage one another. So there you go. Listen to the word of God. Ask God. Ask other people and listen to their advice. You want to be sure you're not doing what's right in your own eyes? Those are some pretty simple steps to undertake. But then, you can't do that in your own strength. We need the Spirit. Well, Christ was exalted. Christ was ascended. And he is a much better king than Saul. But you remember, when Christ ascended into heaven, what did he do? Well, Peter proclaimed it on the day of Pentecost. Christ being exalted by the right hand of God the Father, he'd shed forth what people were seeing and hearing. What were they seeing and hearing? They were seeing an effusion of the Holy Spirit. They were seeing the Holy Spirit present in power to guide and empower the church for its work. What's the difference between Judges 21 and 1 Samuel with Jabesh Gilead involved? A king and the spirit. Okay. Well, what is the difference between us and the people of God in Judges 21? It's an exalted king and it's a poured out Holy Spirit. On the one hand, that means we don't have any excuse for behaving this way. We can't justify ourselves. We can say, well, they did it too. Yeah, that was a problem. And we live in a better time. We live after the exaltation of Christ. We live after the day of Pentecost. We don't have whatever paltry excuse, inadequate excuse they might have used. We don't even have that. But that means then that we have this glorious privilege. We know who our king is. We don't have to do what's right in our own eyes. We can do what he tells us to. And we don't have to do it in our own strength. He has sent the Holy Spirit to guide us, to empower us, to purify our hearts, to cause us to run after him, to cause us to do what he said. If we lapse into this kind of behavior then, what fearful punishment do you think we deserve if we turn our back on all these amazing privileges we've been given? But by the same token, how much easier it should be for us with an exalted king and a poured out Holy Spirit not to live in this way, not 
to find horrible solutions to problems we created, but to repent of our sin and to seek the Lord's grace and mercy and guidance. Amen.